Today's guest on the Keto Yoga podcast is Kate O'Donnell. Kate is both a long-term practitioner of Ashtanga Yoga as well as a trained Ayurvedic consultant. However, Kate didn't take Ayurveda simply because it's a trendy thing to do, as it is these days. Uh, instead, Kate, Kate's involvement with Ayurveda came from a personal health crisis that led her to this ancient science of healing as a patient. So having left when she was 20 to work as an English teacher in India, she ended up in Auroville, South India, and staying for extended periods of time, she contracted gastric parasites, which I don't recommend to anyone. Um, and so over the next years, in fact, she struggles with serious health complaints, primarily when she was studying then with um, Shrachi and Patabi Joyce in Mysore, India. So as she mentions in the podcast, one day she was so ill in Mysore, she was so ill with uh, the gastric parasites, her friends bundled her into the back of a rickshaw and sent her to the local Ayurvedic doctor, at which point she never actually looked back. After going through the Panchakarma treatments, a five-stage cleansing process, she emerged a new person in, in all respects, and she describes a period of deeply transformative experiences. At this point, her life course changed forever. Ayurveda, often called the sister science of yoga, um, treats patients with asana as well as a range of therapies and dietary advice. Based on the Samkhya philosophy, similar to yoga, it aims at manipulating or resolving the problem of the gunas, the material energies of the world um, that are unbalanced. So as yoga does it for the purpose of spiritual transformation, Ayurveda, the difference is it does it for material or physical health transformation of the body. So don't worry, we're going to get around to diagnosing our dosha over the course of this episode, so make sure you listen to the end. Kate is the author of three cookbooks and a founder of the Ayurvedic Living Institute. She regularly teaches courses at the world-renowned Cripple U Centre on the east coast of the US. You can find her at kateodonnell.yoga.com. As always, let us know what you think. Don't forget to review us on iTunes and donate if you fancy over a website with a buy us a coffee or three if you fancy. Also, head over to YouTube where you can find loads of episodes, including this one and all kinds of stuff over there that we're working on now. So without further ado, welcome Kate to the Keelan Yoga Podcast. So welcome Kate O'Donnell to the Keelan Yoga Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's lovely to have you today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've heard heard about you for many years, actually. Um, and um, I didn't know until recently that you're an Ayurvedic specialist. Or, or can, you call, can you say you're a doctor, an Ayurvedic doctor? No, I'm an that, Ayurvedic practitioner. No, a practitioner. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. You don't want to make any grandiose claims there. Exactly. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other people say, "Well, she's a says he's a doctor, and you can't give advice, you know, all uh, that kind of thing." Right? You get that a lot. No, you don't. You've got to qualify that. You're not a real medical doctor. Anyway, um, I'm really a fan of Ayurveda, and um, I think specifically because it was always said to be, I think, the two like two wings of a bird, like for for yoga and Ayurveda, a sister science to yoga. And in fact, I mean, a lot of there's a text, isn't there? Yoga. Charika, how has it how is it said? That's the fundamental text of Ayurveda. Charika, I can't remember. Charika, oh, I was yeah. almost there. I should yeah. have just gone through with it. I should have just gone through with it. I, I, yeah, the Yoga Charika, and I think Jason Burke's the translation, which I was reading recently, and it's very much framed that yoga and Ayurveda are very much framed together as a kind of you know complementary or, or as a healing modality. Um, do you want to just open to say a, li a little bit about how yoga and Ayurveda might 
complement each other and lead to mm. similar or differing conclusions? Yeah. Sure. I, you know, I, for me, I started to really learn more about philosophy. Actually, when I studied Ayurveda, that's when I really learned the Samkhya more deeply because everything, the, like the whole substratum for the tangible universe is, is at that bottom right corner of the charaka with the, the five elements. And so to be able to trace it back, you know, to Purusha and Prakriti, which I had learned about through my yoga, well, it like everything came together for me when I started to learn the two together. And where one of the places I always got hung up with, with my yoga studies was there's, there's yogis and there's householders. You know, there's people who are sort of living a renunciant life. And I, I felt like the, the yoga texts that I was studying, even like Patanjali and even Patabi Joyce's book, you know, it was, um, it was very confusing for me as a young person. I was like in my early 20s reading these things, you know, where it's like, don't socialize, don't eat too many vegetables, <laughs> you know? And I didn't have yeah. any context for it. Or if you're going to eat, eat, eat a lot of snake gourd or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put your cow dung on the floor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it, not, none of it yeah, made not the most sense. Practical, not the most practical instructions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. And then yeah. I started to learn, yeah. you know, Ayurveda and it was like, oh, okay. Instead of doing salt water enema, I could take triphala. You know, or like there's other more sort of moderate things, actions that I could do that are cleansing or nourishing to the body, you know, depending on what is needed. And it felt to me sort of like the two, the sciences are philosophically have the same basis, except yoga is very much the study of uh, evolution of consciousness. And Ayurveda was very much the study of uh, maintaining the energy and physical bodies for longevity purposes so that you had more time and less distraction to actually do yoga. Yeah, yeah. And, and also for, right, to kind of like to balance the effects of yoga. Have you, I mean, have you come across that idea before that yoga is kind of stimulating and it can be overly stimulating and Ayurveda kind of just, you know, like keeps a, keeps a lid on that so it doesn't become, you know, over, you don't become overwrought, maybe. It's that was true for me. Yeah, I never learned that, you know, right. anywhere from anyone, but that was true for me. <laughs> no, it's a, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it's true. I think it's true for a hell of a lot of Ashtanga students out there. Yeah. Generally, you know, a certain kind of uh, constitution, which maybe we'll come back to in a second. Don't want to become too cliche and say, you know, it's all vata. Everything's vata. But, you know, there's certainly a lot of that around and the Ashtanga. I think can, I think we can safely say can aggravate that, that propensity sometimes. But I wanted to also, I've, was kind of listening to a few things you've done and um, as one does when, when uh, you know, having to research naturally. And, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of health complaints that you were having. So I suppose I'd like to practically, first of all, flesh out your journey with Ashtanga and, you know, your own practices and coming to India and getting quite sick. I think you got pretty sick, a, a, you know, a couple of times, right? And, and how that, that led to, you know, an experiential 
you know kind of need for for this rather than just you know oh what what should I do now oh it seems a you know an obvious idea <laughs> I'll study Ayurveda right <laughs> that right. practice yoga but I think for you it was you know it, it was you know there was a, a real need to to do so as I understood you were really quite not you know quite unwell right 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 I spent a lot of time in India early on so at, at nineteen I went to Oroville. Uh, the intentional community, just south, sort of south of Chennai, and I, um, I was teaching English there at a village school, and really kind of living pretty closely to the land, and that I think part that was part of how I got so sick. <laughs> and I got all sorts of different too closely to the land. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. So it just all sorts of intestinal parasitic infections, and I went. I was really taken with India immediately. I've wanted to go there since I was a little girl. So it was as soon as I hit the soil there, I was just never looked back. So I was back and forth to India about, you know, once a year or every other year. And I think it was that second trip. So I've had the parasites going on already for over a year and things were really bad. Uh, I like, I wasn't, I don't know that I would have survived actually without medicine, you know, and really? Yeah. That bad. What were the what were the kind of symptoms? If you don't mind me asking, if they're not too intrusive. <laughs> no, I mean it was um, you know the obvious digestive stuff had turned to. I think I think that the parasites had penetrated my lymphatic system, and so it was like all my limbs were very swollen, and every time I you know every time I ate, they would get worse. So it was like just hard lumps, you know, in my groin and in my armpits and like really intense bloating. And again, I was really young. Um, so I don't know what was going on, but um, once I st started and it was hard at that time to find anyone in America when I was back in the U.S. Nobody knew anything about what was going on with me. So I could, you know, all I could do was take a broad spectrum antibiotic at that time which I did after that, the first year. And then there's the process of rehabilitating from that, you know, from taking, um, flagell, which I don't think they even use anymore. You know, the uh, travelers from, you know, 20, 25 years ago will remember flagell though. That was what they'd give you when <laughs> well, you sounds nice. Right? Yeah. You come home from India. <laughs> yeah. So when I, I went back to it India just, later, just knocks everything out, does it? It does, like everything. Yeah, just everything. And so when I, I got back to India after that, everything went nuts. And I was in Mysore. And somebody sent me to uh, Dr. Anil Kumar, who I think a lot of uh, listeners who've been to Mysore will have heard of Dr. Kumar. He actually had a, an office in Gokulam for a while. And I didn't just, I didn't know anything. I was just kind of like somebody put me in the back of a rickshaw and like sent me there. I did not know anything about Ayurveda or anything. They were just like, here's a doctor, you know? And I just did everything that he told me to do. I did a Panchakarma at the Aditya Ayurveda Hospital right there on Contour Road. And it just changed everything for me. It changed my relationship to reality it changed my ability to understand reality and that was not what i was expecting you know i was just kind of trying to like get my digestion no, back yeah that's a pretty intense thing to say i mean you know pretty mm -hmm. extreme kind of shit like i mean yeah how how so uh, it was like yeah. you know it was like 
First of all, I think to receive medical care where you have no idea what's going on is there's a certain amount of surrender that happens there, you know, that I was undergoing like sort of um, invasive things like having like people give me enemas, you know, things like that. You know, you're naked on this wood table, like covered in milk. <laughs> you know, it was just all this kind of wacky. Okay, well, that's good. That could be life changing. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what happened was that, that when I had the actual like cleansing moment, you know, so you do all of this preparatory procedure in order to get the, the things that need to leave the body, you, you sort of bring them, you centralize them to the digestive tract. And then you do some sort of a, a purge, you know, and so it was it was after that purge, that it was like the veil between the, the physical and the subtle realms just became very thin. Because I think my physical body had been altered, you know, in um, such a intense way in such a short moment of time, it was like a 24 hour period. And my body was not the same. I was like, I was, I think, more attuned to the subtle body than the physical body, just because that was more available. Because my physical body was like somebody else's body, you know, that I was unfamiliar to me. And so I was just like, I was sort of communicating with, uh, it felt to me like, like subtle ways of knowing, instead of how we usually kind of filter our experience through our sense organs and our physical body. And, and the ego, you know, the ahamkar, like Kate O'Donnell is this and does that and knows this and thinks that way. All of that was removed. And I How was, long did that experience last? Oh, it was, I would say, the, the, the very intense, like, you know, angels singing kind of thing was <laughs> like, that was like an hour, you know, that was very, right, yeah, okay, exactly. Okay. But yeah, exactly. But, it, but, it, but it had a, a dramatic effect on you. I suppose my second question is, um, what do people have to, do people, do, sorry, do all people have to go through the panchakarma? I mean, you hear a lot, when you hear of Ayurveda, you often hear a panchakarma in the same breath, um, you know, but, you know, obviously you were very ill and, and you did it and, and you know, for, for an everyday person who perhaps isn't suffering, you know, so, so chronically with parasites, etc., um, you know, is this necessary? Um, and, and what are the basic, I mean, you know, just to get on a, a practical kind of bent again, where it doesn't involve necessarily enemas or puking up or, you know, or anything else, um, you know, um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, what, um, you know, what kind of basic principles might people start operating from in Ayurveda? Um, and I suppose a subsidiary to that question is, you know, look, do you need, you know, look, you hear of this panchakarma, this this purging, you know, you know, do you really need that, or is there, you know, more more kind of gentle ways to, to go about it, you know, that people might practically do without going to India and being slathered in an oil or milk and, and uh, put on a wooden table and right. God knows what else. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the, so the disease process and the way it's described in the Ayurveda text is there's these there's six different levels so you can be working you know at the earlier stages like the first three stages of disease where you're just having like early signs and symptoms and then those symptoms become aggravated and start to affect your ability to to do daily life and then the problem in the third stage starts to spread usually via the bloodstream and i think a lot of people are in that place now with sort of systemic inflammation that's become such a big thing. 
And it's like, once you get past that, then the problems start to lodge in your tissues. And that's when panchakarma might be necessary. But we have like, there are the whole first volume of the text is just about prevention of getting to the point where you might need that, you know? So it's, I mean, so much about the text where it discusses, you know, the different ways of using food, the different things to do at different times of day, like all that stuff that I, I think of them as sort of dinacharya, like general daily routines that we can follow, which are so great for our Ashtangis because they love routine, you know, and it just like goes very hand in hand, all of that. So I think Panchakarma is, um, it is like the, the jewel of, of Ayurvedic medicine. But I, the way I like to talk about that is like, don't play that card until you need it. You know, right. I think a lot and of how people do you know whether you need it or not? Um, yeah, they want to go in. That's an intensity, isn't it? It's like, oh, let's do Panchakarma. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, Ashtanga mm. students tend to be in, intense people, and so they want to think, like, I'm going to yeah, go all the way. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go yeah, all yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's be better if I do more of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, how you know, <laughs> how do you know whether you're really at that point when you need that or whether you might just perhaps just, you know, just sensibly change your diet and change the way you you know you live your life and and that might be okay right and and i said you know again a qualifier of that question is um can you do it outside i mean are there centers now within europe that are doing panchakarma I don't, or, or us right i mean mm -hmm. places that people can find to do these as well right I, I don't know much about that there are there certainly are um like so i would look for a place that's been around for at least a decade because new things popping up, like it's harder to know, you know, that that person has a lot of experience or training, but you can, have, you don't have to go to India to do Panchakarma. That's, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think, you know, I think it's important to integrate some of the daily uh, diet and lifestyle regimens before doing Panchakarma anyway. So if one is feeling like something's wrong with the health, and you're doing already integrating these routines, like you've already changed your diet, you know, and you're already kind of like sleeping at the right time and eating at the right time, but you still feel sick. That's probably when, you know, you might need to go to deeper measures. And it's important to me before people undergo Panchakarma that they have established healthy routines that they're going to go back to after. Or else that's problematic. That's problematic to cause this kind of change in the tissue of the body and then like go eat hot dogs and, and Twinkies. Like that's really going to make problems. <laughs> what, what is that? I've heard of Twinkies. What is a Twinkie? Is it a pretzel of sorts, right? No, it's like a pastry, like a highly it's processed. It's a pastry, is it? A sponge oh, really? cake. Yeah, a Twinkie. Like a sponge. Right, okay. That sounds, sounds nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great name. Um, right, so... What 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 are you know, going back on track? What are these um what are these lifestyle changes that that you know you might suggest? Because we hear a lot. I mean, and also and the obvious thing about the food, right? I mean, we hear all this stuff about eating loads of ghee and dairy, and and then that you know that stuff, as I mentioned, and yoga mala doesn't really help about eat this. Is it do we eat snake gourd or don't eat snake gourd or, or you know? There's a few kind of uh, um you know um perhaps um. 
bizarre suggestions um, as to as to what you know someone should eat when practicing yoga. Um, you know, what does a daily lifestyle lead, you know kind of look like for the practitioner? And, and um, you know, uh, is it that we have to eat a lot of dairy to you know, especially with the current situation with the processed dairy industry right yeah are there other alternatives for people that don't eat don't eat dairy or is it a question of finding the best dairy you can Ooh, yeah right no, there's two really. yeah two things going on yeah. there right one is like what yeah. are the day what's the daily regimen the other is like the yeah 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 then we have the dairy food? question yeah you know because exactly. yeah but Tommy joyce used to tell and people the, and the, sorry there's three questions even yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 you know yeah, yeah and ayurveda does love dairy so we can definitely definitely address that um but so i feel like adam on your podcast i can sign to talk to ashtanga people right as opposed to like the general public when i when i speak as though i'm speaking with people who do ashtanga i maybe talk a little differently uh, yeah right i mean you know i want to open up the debate that's the whole idea of the podcast open up the debate yeah. to more than just ashtanga students you know but you know primarily probably we can say uh, we're still mainly talking to ashtanga students yes so you know so most anyway the yoga people tend to kind of get up a little earlier anyway right and and do the practice so the idea is with the daily regimen we're looking at the the changes that the elements are undergoing based on the movements of the sun, you know, in a 24 hour cycle. And so when the sun is highest, there's, there's more of that fire element in the, in the environment. And that's mirrored in the human body. So there's more fire element at midday, right? So like, it's not great to practice and do a hot exercise thing in the middle of the day because it's already hot. Right. So it's a great time. It's a good time when there's that kind of heat. Seems like a really good time to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, so we're always looking to balance the qualities that are present, naturally present in the environment. We're looking to bring in sort of opposite qualities at that time. So things don't get top heavy in any certain direction. Right. So it's that midday time is like the ideal time to eat food. Because that Agni, that fire principle, that's the, the uh, digestive fire. So that's like strongest. It's having a little like party at midday because that's when the sun is highest. And so we have this routine around eating the biggest meal at lunchtime, which works, I think, you know, for a lot of people who are up early doing, doing practice and whatever. So like daily regimen would be, okay, you try to get up close to the sunrise. If you want to do spiritual practice, the ideal time for that is that Brahma Mahurta, two to three hours before the sunrise. That's when all your puja goes down and you're chanting and your pranayama and all this business. And it, it, I think it is a good time for, for practice uh, or, or study. And then, so when one is waking up, there's the tongue scraping, which is just such an excellent, easy, fast routine that so many people can do, right? And it's just, you just take a copper or a stainless tongue scraper. And the reason for that is because a lot of the Dinacharya practices are about purification. So the body is sort of, while you're sleeping, the body is, is cleaning house, which is, you know, it's like, that's why we tend to not eat a big dinner because then your digestion can be resting. And instead the liver is kind of cooking junk out of the blood. 
And so all of that stuff the body wants to get rid of is coming towards the ends of the mahashrota or the digestive tract. So your mouth and your anus. So when you got up, you scrape the tongue because there's going to be like mucus there and you remove that mucus rather than like put it back down into the stomach. Which that's so easy and so fast. you can just get like a tongue scraper, can you? You can Google tongue scraper and buy one for people. Or you could you use a toothbrush or something like that? Not the same. You have to have Not a copper. Not the same. Right, okay. You need a copper thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the I think toothbrush in the practical long. terms, what, what happens if you can't? Right, it won't, be, it won't do it. Okay, forget that suggestion, everyone. Just use that <laughs> copper tongue scraper thing. Get, get it. Um, what, what happens if, you know, practically speaking, you're unable to eat your main meal at midday? I mean, you know, like it used to be the case that everyone had that time off, you know, and certainly in southern Mediterranean countries, you have this still this this ritual of eating, you know, like your, your main meal at, and having, you know, hours of siesta or whatever off work. But, um, you know, that's becoming less and less these days, right, that people are unable to do that. I mean, you know, do you have any advice for people that still need to eat that, you know, main meal in the evening, right? So it's like, you know, because otherwise you could kind of think, oh, this is not for me. I can't do that. So forget it. You know what I mean? Right. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Which it's always better to sort of understand the traditional value, why they're saying that things are this way, and then modify as necessary with an understanding of, of why things are happening when they're happening. And then you can shift it, you know? So, like, I think in a lot of the Mediterranean countries, especially where, where there's a, a very warm season, you don't actually have an appetite at midday. It's actually too hot. So, you might eat once the sun goes down, you know, because it's cool once it cools down. And so, I, I think a, like a late morning meal and an evening meal, great. And then that whole midday time is just digestion. That's kind of another routine, another way of working it that, that can happen. Right. Okay. You know, what I think a lot of people do, Depends, Adam, is they yeah. like, they avoid eating all day long because they're working and they don't want to like get tired or distracted. And so they like, they're in their most active time all day long. And then they like collapse onto this huge dinner at the end of the day. And that's, that's not helpful. That's not good. It's not good, you right, know, okay. so they could still have <laughs> that meal, but maybe try to like make an effort to eat smaller, a smaller breakfast than a smaller lunch and then make that dinner less of an event. Less large. That's kind of what I do too much, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it, <laughs> to argue my corner, I think if you, you know, depends on how much you've digested during the day already and how, you know, kind of like how hungry you are. As well. Right. Right. But yeah. I, I do understand that it's probably better to, to eat early in the day. I should, I should, I should do that more. I mean, and, and what about the food? I mean, the actual food that is, is suggested, right? And how then does the obvious uh, doshas thing with the Ayurveda? If everyone knows something about Ayurveda, it's generally this, you know, vata, pitta, kapha stuff going on with it, right? And, and self-diagnosis obviously is rampant, probably irritates the hell out of you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, give me any basic guidelines for people in terms of, uh, I know that we're in, you know, rocky territory offering any kind of guidelines as I've done many podcasts on food and, and generally they are very uh, commentful, let's say, but, you know, and you just, uh, yeah. with a disclaimer that Kate is not offering any, any kind of uh, serious uh, guidelines for you. I mean, what, <laughs> right. what you know, what, what does Ayurveda say about, um, you know, about the, about the, the, the doshas and, and eating and, food. and dairy? 
Dairy, you know, yes. just to back to that dairy one, right? The the dairy is it has naturally occurring fat. And it's it's sort of one of the more fatty substances. It's a very um, nourishing, sort of rich, rich and cool at the same time. So when you do a lot of yoga, especially pranayama or like advanced postures, you are creating a lot of heat in the system, specifically in the nerves. Like we're running energy through the nerves on purpose. We do that as a tonification, right? And people think Ashtanga is crazy, but if done correctly, you know, slowly and slowly, it can be very beneficial to strengthen the nervous system. But on a physical level, you need to buffer that, right? That needs to be buffered by fats. Fat makes up your myelin sheath. You know, your spinal cord is housed in this sort of fatty liquid that is also cool in order to balance the fact that nervous energy is hot. It's the energy that runs through the nerves is hot. It's heating. It's friction, you know, activity. And so when we put in cool fat, the body just loves that. You know, and that's why I think in Ashtanga, you hear all this about ghee and dairy. And ghee has an affinity for the nervous system. So ghee is butter that's had the milk solids cooked out of it. Like people can make it at home pretty easy. And that way, the very difficult part of the fat of the dairy fat has been removed. So a lot of the preparations in in Ayurvedic uh, diet, we actually have removed the very hard to digest parts of the fat. Is that the hard bit? Right. That that solids, that milk solids, that's the hard bit, is it? That's the bit I like. Right, right. Yeah, that's the <laughs> well, thing. I you might need it. It's kind of nutty, and I like that. I like that bit. And it sounds a bit like when you talk about heating and cooling properties, it sounds a bit like macrobiotics, which I know a lot more about, right? I mean, is there any kind of uh, basis, that, you know, structurally to say that you're using food in Ayurveda as, you know, along those lines and heating, cooling principles in terms oh, of absolutely. looking for some kind of methodology, methodology around how to, how to self-diagnose in a way if people are thinking, what should I eat? And, you know, um, should I eat the dairy or not? And right, right. Yeah, the ulti- in Ayurveda, the ultimate potency of a substance is whether it is heating or cooling. So we look right. at that quite a yeah. bit, you know, and if somebody is, is, uh, say what we call a vata type, they run cold. You know, so we're, we are looking to introduce more warming substances for them. For your pitta type, well, right. a lot of Ashtangas tend to be pitta types. That's the fire principle. So these people, they tend to overheat. And so we're always introducing cooling substances. And those are the ones where milk is especially helpful. Right. Right. What, um, how do we diagnose or how do we kind of understand what's a heating, what's a cooling? I mean, it seems kind of self-explanatory to say milk and dairy is kind of cooling, but um, I suppose the heating thing is the, the spices mainly, right? And the ginger. And I mean, uh, is there any way that you know, people can understand for themselves you know, and, and, and kind of figure mm-hmm. it out? Like, oh, this is cooling, this is heating. I mean, like you talk about a lot about the the the, uh, the kijadis and the, you know, the dals, right? I think, are, you know, a big, a big basis for Ayurveda. I mean, are some dals heating and some cooling or, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So some things are easy and obvious and other things would require more study. But, you know, in, uh, one of the things I recommend, I'm always telling people to just be a mad scientist. 
and not to just try to do it right, you know, but to actually like get in there with the substances and just get crazy. And if you eat, if you like eat a lot of a substance, you can, you eat it by itself and you eat a little too much of it. You can actually figure it out. Yeah. Like papaya is a great example. Right. People tend to think, oh, it's so refreshing and blah, blah, blah. But papaya is intensely heating. If you overeat it, it will give you really? hot, loose poop. Right. So anything that makes you, gives you like a sort of an acrid, loose stool is probably heating. You know, like, like if you eat a bunch of tomatoes or as you say, spicy food, anything that's acidic is probably going to be heating. And then things that are cool are usually the ones that are like, they're softer, you know, like uh, a cucumber or your, your bottle gourd, you know, these things that are very watery. How do you know with you? Yeah. Yeah. How do you know? I mean, apart, apart from the stores, I mean, is there some other aspects you can f- kind of like figure out on your body or, or is it particular or, or should one particularly look at emotions, you know, um, poo mm-hmm. more often? <laughs> I mean, do, do you look at, do you, <laughs> yeah, poop, poop talk is huge. So being very polite now, very English here. Right. Is yeah. it, is it? it like, yeah. Like, oh. You know, you will, you'll hear in like in a, um, around here, they'll say, you know, what is your poo telling you? <laughs> So when you look at okay, the stool, right. it might be dry, and that means there's a dry thing going on, right? Like the like the poop is hard and dry, and so there's dryness in the body, uh-huh. yeah. Which you could notice also right. in your and skin. And then what would you do to hair. counter to counter that? Right. You would take some some More oily oil. substances. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whether it's from dairy or from nuts, you know, or even from meats, you know, it's Ayurveda is not a vegetarian system. All oh, really? Such, yeah, it's think, not. I think that's probably a misnomer no. then because, right, right. Most people I think think it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought it was, in fact. Yeah. No, right. there's a whole chapter about the, the, the different energetics of all the, the animal foods and all the different groupings of animals, you know, and how they are medicinal. But I think the difference is that meat is not a part of your daily diet. You know, it's like if there is something that needs to be remedied and meat can be used, then, you know, it's cooked into some kind of preparation. But nobody's sitting down with like a steak. You know, it's not that kind of right. thing. Yeah, <laughs> It's more like a me- it's used, it's used as in a medic- medically rather than, you know, just right. like, uh, yeah, like I really, fa- really fancy a burger right now. Like, right, right. But, I mean, what does... <laughs> Okay, so and then and then loose, like if you have a loose stool, what 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 does that signify? You need more hard uh, cooling things. Cooling and calming. It's like the digestion's overactive, right? So we need to calm it down, right? Okay. And sometimes calm there's it, actually right. too yeah. much oil at play there, and so you can see if the stool is oily. You know, you'll see like an oil slick going on, and then that often happens if you eat like fried food. You know, obvious stuff so if you know the stool gets hot like that that'll happen if you overeat spicy food you know a lot of people think like the indian restaurant is ayurvedic food but it's not it's usually very spicy <laughs> it's a nice idea yeah. isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah that's not yeah I, yeah it's once one thing that we might like to think when we're eating a nice biryani or something right oh yeah 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 <laughs> so it's all ayurvedic or atali um what is so i mean you know what i'm very 
it's not too personal. But what does your diet look like? I mean, how do you cook? And and you know, and and for people that don't have a bunch of time, I remember you saying you don't like to spend much time on your food. I mean, you've got Ayurvedic cookbooks out, but you say yourself you don't like to spend too much time on you know cooking a meal. You know, you know what kind of stuff do you do, and how do you make it quicker for people that haven't really got you know much time on their hands, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I wrote the Everyday Ayurveda Cookbook. So if anyone's listening and you're like, you want to know, and that is what I eat. Like everything in that book, it's just my food that I codify. Actually what you eat. Yeah. Actually what I eat, you know. So I learned all these principles in India, but then I was kind of like back and forth between there and the US. So learning how to make the foods in a Western country. So the recipes are not only using Indian ingredients, you know, there's also like local ingredients like oats, you know, so um, I think a lot of, you know, the, the basis of an Ayurvedic diet is whole grain, whole grains, you know, like red rice or oat porridge. I mean, very simple, you know, just simply like porridge is actually amazing. And, and they call it kanji, but it's just porridge, you know, and you could put digestive spices in it. And I mean, you can eat that all the time. So porridge and dal, which is just using small beans, you know, like mung beans and lentils, those are the small ones and zuki beans for our macrobiotic friends. Those are also kind of a small size bean. The larger the small is better, is it? Right. Yeah, the larger it gets, the the more air is harder is to digest. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So kind of flatulence and this kind of yeah difficulty and digestion going on right so the right. small beans okay right yeah yeah so and, and generally co- you know the reputation of ayurveda is just cook things to shit right like you know really like just cook that stuff no no raw no you know because, because people often say oh you know it gets you know confused or uh, the same breath with raw stuff right like eating raw and, and i think uh, ayurveda doesn't like raw so much right Right. Yeah. Again, back to that Agni principle, you know, like the Rig Veda, the the, right. the first text, the first thing it's, it is, is a prayer to Agni, to fire. Yes. And so we yes. introduce our food yes. to fire before we eat it. That's what cooking is. You know, that's the processing that, that we do, especially using a flame, you know, like a, a gas stove would be preferable to an electric stove because there's actually a flame. Yeah. You know, so we, the point there is it, it, not only that we introduce the Agni principle to the food before it enters the body, but that we, it's softened hard, like uh, raw food is very hard, you know, and, and there's all this chewing and the body has to break down these hard pieces. Whereas if you imagine like the digestive um, uh, juice that's created in the stomach, you know, that then goes into the small intestine for absorption. That is the stuff of life in, in Ayurveda. That is the ahara rasa. It's like the juice of life. And, and we want that to be fully digested and soft and smooth and not too sour or putrid, you know, which would happen if we ate like, like too much fermented food or it sits in the gut too long you know so all this talk about like you know like cooking our food and trying not to like mix together raw things with cooked things and fruits with food you know and then we'll use spices like cumin coriander fennel turmeric and all of that is to create this ahara rasa in the stomach that then actually circulates via the bloodstream and builds the tissues of the body 
So the better that that juice is, the better the whole body is, and the less likely we are to to have any diseases be able to like get a foothold in these tissues because they're healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what about food combining? Is there any principles? To, I mean, you say of no, not combining fruits and food, which is an obvious idea, which unfortunately, again, I'm often failed to do like after a meal. I know it's a terrible idea to eat fruit after a meal, but I just, just still often do it. Um, yeah. But um, apart from, you know, silly things like that, I mean, what, what about um, combining, you know, in a positive sense, certain things? And especially, yes, a lot of people these days, you mentioned before, and it's true, are suffering digestive issues how could one look at using these principles to build up um, a, a stronger digestive fire acne i think the main way we do that is through combinations of spices like that is how we strengthen strengthen the agni so the basic spice mixture that's sort of considered tridoshic like everyone across the board could could try is just that cumin coriander fennel turmeric and some like, you know, in my book, I have those, I teach you how to sort of dry roast it and grind it. And then you put it in a bottle and you can sprinkle it, you know, in, in all your food. And that sort of thing, even if you eat weird combinations, the, the mixture of spices actually helps harmonize in Let's the gut. It out. Okay, yeah, right. it's helpful. Like, it's helpful, you know. Right. Yeah. And it can be drank as a tea. You can make a tea out of those four spices. Just boil them, uh, say, a quart of water, a teaspoon of each spice. You boil for 10, 15 minutes, strain that, and sip it along with the meals. That kind of a thing will absolutely harmonize. You know, so I call that damage control. <laughs> so it's like you're sort of eating whatever you want, but then you have this tool also that you're using. I was going to say that in a kind of, yeah, that I thought was flippant. Yeah, can you, can you just, you know, and then eat whatever you want and use this as a kind of like a, as a catch-all to get out of it? I mean, what, what happens if you are suffering a little bit from having overindulged or, you know, you've, you've been under the weather, you know, whether mm -hmm. with COVID or monkeypox or whatever else is coming, you know, um, you know, yeah. what, what kind of principles can you, can you use to, to kind of mm -hmm. give yourself a booster, you know? Well, I mean, if one is overindulged, the best thing to do is to skip a meal or two, you know? So if okay. something crazy happens, you right. know, you eat a bunch a little, of cheese a little and bit fruit. Of fast. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. have to be some crazy thing where you That's drink crazy juice on for your, a week. In, in your world, is it? Right. <laughs> yeah. Cheese at night. Oh, my right. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cheese and fruit. Oh, yeah. I better go home and fast for days. Yeah. You should see what I eat. Um <laughs> Um, right, so so you know a little bit of fasting you you recommend a little you know as as a yeah. as a, a cleansing tool if taken exactly. I'm sure sensibly and it's um, just a do, meal. Do you do any do you do any fasting um, generally uh, on a regular basis? I was speaking to someone recently who this guy Chris Chapel who I'm interviewing or interviewed recently he was saying he was fasting one day a week. Man, every, every you know he's done this for 50 yeah, years he, he right. worked out he'd kind of not eaten he worked out he'd not eaten for like seven years or something crazy like that yeah yeah so i used to do that i definitely used to do a, a day a week of fasting for me that's actually not a good idea i i don't have the kind of constitution that needs to fast uh i'm too light as it is so that was me sort of being like the hardcore yogi. <laughs> and I did that for, I don't know, five or six years, you know, 
Um, what I will do is I will just eat kitchari or kanji, which we talked about, like a porridge, a simple porridge with those digestive spices. I might just eat that for a day or a meal, you know, instead of um, just continuing to eat what I normally eat when I don't feel well, you know. So it's like it's nice because you can just drop into these simple, simple foods and not cause any imbalances by by fasting at inappropriate times or inappropriate ways. For some people, people who have a heavier constitution, that would be very excellent, you know, for them to not eat once a week would be ideal. Yeah, but not it's not for Unfortunately, everyone. It doesn't usually go that way, does it? It's like the, yeah. the, the people that are lighter, they always tell you, I'm doing a fast. Yeah. And you look and go, that doesn't seem a good idea. And right. then vice versa. Some people, it's like, they don't think, well, you probably could do you know, that. Would, that would work well for you. And they're like, oh, no, I don't. I'm never going to do that. Right. <laughs> I know, because we gravitate. That's like baked but, into Ayurveda, that we gravitate towards the familiar. So light people gravitate towards light therapies that may not be helpful instead of the opposite. So I, yes, exactly. So I, it's a kind of, you know, I was a clever sojourn really into just a, a wrapping up in terms of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the grandstand of the doshas. How, you know, how do they relate to our body? And why is it that those, as you said, as you know, you point, obviously point out because you're a knowledgeable practitioner um that you know those doshas tend to draw us into exactly often what's not good for us right so a batter right. person will be attracted to the very things that actually aggravate that batter condition bizarrely enough right it won't necessarily inherently seek that balance you know then how do you know when you're going too far one way and, and, and how do you bring that back you know and that only yeah. has both first of all to qualify it like what are these doshas and and yeah in the first place right so the, we talked a bit about the five elements, right? And so those are the building blocks of a body. Uh, and they compound into three pairs that do physiological functions. So vata is space and air. So it's very light and mobile. So it does all the movement processes in the body, which includes the mind, um, the digestion, the menstrual process, uh, circulation. All this movement stuff is governed by vata. Pitta is a combination of fire and water, which is hot and uh, moist. And so it, its main thing is transformation. So it's it's like your digestive fire and your enzymatic activity and your red blood, you know, and also the intellect, like the the intensity of the the gray matter in the brain. Right. And then your kappa is okay. the heavy. Yeah. That's earth and water. So it's it's heavy and moist. So it's it's like the mucus the synovial fluid, you know, all, all of your membranes. And it's also that which kind of holds the homeostasis in the body, where pitta's breaking things apart, breaking things down, and vata's moving things around, you know, getting rid of wastes and so bringing things where they need you to need go. All. Yeah, they yeah. all do yeah. jobs, right? But the reason that, that they're called doshas, dosha means that which is at fault or that which is faulty. And the, that's because... You know, through the thousands of years of trial and error, the, the Ayurveda Acharyas could see that anytime the body got into disease process, one of these three compounds was at fault. So they have a tendency to get out of balance, which usually means that their qualities become too much. So the, the vata is very light and cold, you know, so one becomes too light, 
due to things like an appropriate amount of fasting, right? And then you're unable to sleep, you know, you're drying out and your poop gets weird, you know, and you're constipated, all these things are happening. With the pitta, it's usually too hot. They have a tendency towards inflammation and the, the loose stool, you know, skin problems like rashes and acne right. and things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your cup of types are, you know, that it's naturally heavy, dense, moist, a little bit slow. Mm -hmm. And when that gets out of balance, people are going to have the weight gain and the stagnation, you know, the difficulty getting going. That's where Ashtanga is a great practice naturally for cup of types because it's like so mobile. So those three are, uh, you know, when one of them starts to, its quality start to increase beyond what is natural for a person's body, that's when we start to, things get too hot, too cold, heavy, and then you, there's different sorts of problems that you can, uh, you can imagine, right, that happen when we do that. So that's where Bata types are encouraged to eat foods that are warm and moist and oily, you know, your pitta types encourage to eat things that are cool and calming and your kappa types are the ones that can enjoy the sort of lighter and drier foods. Can enjoy, enjoy fasting and, and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's a kind of diplomatic way to say it, isn't it? We're going to enjoy like a, just eating very light salads. Um, there's kappa, I thought it was kaffa. It's kappa, is it? Well, there, you know, there's no F sound really in Sanskrit, right? But, you okay, know, okay. but when it moved right. over to the West, yeah, everybody's right. just just said that, and it's Started kind of kaffa. stuck. Yeah, it's kaffa, just stuck. Right? Yeah. It's honestly, yeah, yeah, it's, there's right. no right or wrong at okay. this point. I hear people of all different sorts right. say whichever. Say both. Right. It seems like yeah. they're they're both fine. Yeah. Right. Okay. We can, that we can we can move on from there and the Twinkies. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, in terms of the doshas, we basically need them all. I mean, because there's this, you know, I think there was this kind of like, you know, like trend of a number of years ago, right? Like, you know, say everyone self-diagnosing. Oh, you know, and the best one I think was like, oh, you, I'm a pitta or I'm a pitta vata, or you know, that, that's the you know, yeah, and you're you know, you know, it was kind of almost pejorative to say, oh, you're a kaffir, you know, <laughs> right? No one wants to be a kaffir, you know? I know. <laughs> right? Or you know, um, but you know, I mean, we actually need all these, the, all these to be balanced, right? So you need to be a combination of all these things, right? Um, right. And I suppose, yeah, I mean, just to, to to round this off with broad brush strokes, I mean, how how might we recognise our, our doshas, and how might we start to reconcile, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. ourselves to to trying to create some kind of daily balance. I mean, you've talked about the food a lot, but I mean, would you yeah. perhaps round this off by just talking about other other aspects of Ayurveda? Because it's always known about food, but as you mentioned at the start, Patabi Joyce was talking in the Yoga Mala, kind of Ayurvedically, roughly speaking, I suppose, about avoiding busy places and, you know, and this kind of thing, overstimulation, right? Vata loves these stimulation. I, I'm a vata, I think I love overstimulation, but it doesn't work well for me. You know, there's all too much coffee and then you're going out and then, you know, this kind of thing, right? I mean, there's like, you know, there are other guidelines that we can bring into our life to kind of just, you know, just try and regulate these these kind of tendencies that we have <laughs> to go towards extremes. I think we have yeah. natural tendency to seek extremes, don't we? Yeah, yeah. One of, well, one of the things, this is a big place where yoga and Ayurveda overlap in, is in the sense organs. So one of the main causes of disease, according to Ayurveda, 
is aside from the, so there's three causes of disease, the uh, seasonal changes. So that's why we have all these, we change our food with the seasons, you know, um, we drink hot water when it's cold out and cool water when it's hot, you know, and the, um, the second cause of disease is misuse of the senses. So when the mind becomes attached to the sense object, so there's your yoga, right? And we, um, there is a care of the senses. That's, that's how we avoid the overstimulation. So, you know, we're aware of the stimulation of the eyes, the ears, the skin, the, the smell and the tongue. So things like reducing fragrance, you know, artificial fragrance, we scrape the tongue, we try to eat naturally tasting foods, you know, we wash the eyes with rose water to keep them cool. And then this application of oil to the skin. Yeah, so the oil to the skin, that's a great one for your yoga people, because it's it is the most balancing to vata and it's also the, the kind of the number one longevity technique um for for all bodies like it's it says that the one who practices oil massage does not suffer from old age that's that's what it where it goes into oil in the text oh, well, they kinda, that. yeah they kind of say that about everything don't they but if you practice may or arsenal you'll <laughs> live forever and you know have superpowers right but, no, but seriously i mean what what, what kind of people often ask that how is that the same as the oil bath, the castor oil bath, or is it different to that? Is it just rubbing oil, a different oil on your body every day? Can you explain that a bit further? It's different. Yeah, you won't hear a lot in Ayurveda about castor oil bath. You will not hear that much. Castor oil is used. It's used externally, locally, and it's used internally in medicines, but not so much that that's specific to people who are doing um Ashtanga, I think, a very sort of heating and intense practice. For general, the, it's usually sesame oil. That's sort of the the most vata balancing. It's the densest and the warmest of the oils. So for people who run cold and are dry, that is an incredibly useful practice to apply the sesame oil to the skin before the shower. And then you take the shower and that's that, that's that heat, heating sort of moist principle that you add that to the oil. And you can just sort of like soap the hairy parts, but, uh, you know, not necessarily soap off all the oil. Like I, th- I think allowing the skin to absorb it right. is good, you know. So, so that kind of thing can be done. Beforehand? Ideally, yeah. Ideally, you can sort of like you know, sit around, do your pranayama or something with it on, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Right, just full of oil, just sitting there, just put a towel down or something, don't sit in your mom's yeah. sofa. Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Um, so sesame oil before the shower and yeah. castor oil, yeah. nothing to do with Ayurveda, just, uh, you know, apart from, yeah, God knows, don't take it internally. Um all kinds of stuff happen. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think as a pur- as a purgative, it is used right. Um, right, so that's a that's a great um a great piece of advice. For, I always recommend people rubbing the oil on as well, just for the joints and yeah, general health of the body. Yeah, right, right. 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 Which just to say, for people who do run hot or have like hot skin things, they don't want to use sesame. They want to use probably coconut oil. Okay, because that'll remove heat from the body. Right. Yeah. yeah, I know that in India they put it on the head, don't they? Cool. Yes. And put a little right. bit on the hair. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. A couple of things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Any other little tips before before we finish off this interview today? 
any other little tips you use in your life that have really helped or anything specific i mean the tongue scraping i think has been a revelation for many people to be to be frank you know i think that many yeah. people really swear by that I remember yeah laruga talking about that for years ago and i think i got one for also oil pulling i think that's popular is it is that ayurvedic yeah you bring the oil in the mouth and string yep. yeah yeah right yeah. Uh, yeah anything else you can think of that people could include in their routines you know again not to harp on the food thing but uh, I honestly think that a lot of digestive disturbances, I see them healed by waiting to eat until the previous meal has been digested. So usually that's a good four hours. So I think a lot of people eat too often and therefore that, that ahara rasa that, that is compromised. It's like you cook half your rice for 10 minutes and then you put the other half in and keep cooking. So half the right. rice is too sticky mm. and half is raw, you know. Uh-huh. That's a good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't yeah, I yeah. think that people who feel like gassy or bloated or there's like just weird weird things going on with the digestion to to try spacing the meals out by about, you know, four hours. It's different for different people, different depending on the size of the meal. But in general, like sitting down and having food and then not eating again for a while. And then sitting down and having food, you know, that's, I think, the beneficial way to take food. So no snacks. Yeah. Not too many snacks. Not, not every yeah, day, yeah. not all the time, you know. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, how, I mean, how, uh, my last question actually, but it was came up earlier, but I didn't mention at the time, is like, how rigorously do, do you stick to this? Does one need to stick to it? Do you know what I mean? I mean, people might think, well, you know, Kate, she, she thinks that cheese and, and fruit is, right. is, you know that's that's insane that's a party you know so i'm just there's no hope for me right i mean that's her like you know like thinking that things are out of control then you know god knows what like what i can you know what i can do with this i mean you know Mm -hmm. like how you know how often do you do you know do you break the rules and have a a piece of cheesecake or or a bit of fruit Mm. god forbid yeah yeah Yeah. i I think i have two answers to that you know one is the 80 20 rule yeah so you you party down twenty uh-huh. percent of the time, you know, and then the uh, other yeah, you know, uh, um, the, the other eighty you're you're trying to like be on your game. But I I also have to say like if a person is very healthy and they're asymptomatic, you know, like they feel like their digestion yeah. is good, their appetite is good, yeah, their yeah, skin is yeah. good, you know, they feel good, they sleep well, yeah. everything's good. Like then don't there's no need to freak out. Whatever you're doing is working, you know. Right. But when, and I I am in that place more often now due to 20 years of of living this way. You know, that first 10 years after all the sickness, I really was very careful, you know, and now I can get away with all kinds of stuff. (laughs) And I enjoy that, you know, I enjoy that. But I know like when to say when, and, and I'm like, oh, a little cheese and fruit at night, sometimes okay. You know what I mean? But it's not like my diet that I'm doing that all the time. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I can get away okay. with a lot because I I live well, you know, and I know my body's signs and I listen to them. I think yeah, that's the idea. I think that's part of it as well, is it? Yeah. But also listening, because sometimes you kind of know, like, I know like certain things, you know, I mean, like, yeah. Eating watermelon after dinner is not a good idea. I mean, it's done in many countries, right? Like, you know, yeah. Um, 
you give the watermelon, right, in Greece a lot, you know, and I got into this habit, you know, it's in a warmer country, right, you know, it's a terrible idea, and it doesn't affect me well at all, it often gives me stomach cramps even, but you totally. still, still one does these things, you know, it's crazy, yeah. it's crazy, I mean, you know, right. when you know, and so I think a lot of, you know, I, I imagine a lot of it is, you know, coming down to knowing what feels, actually knowing what feels good, you know, and doing what feels good, you know, it sounds like such a simple instruction, but it's not always as easy as all that, you know, just poses. Right. It's a deeper question in terms of the yoga, yoga, and Ayurveda. You know, much more widely and generally. You know, yeah, and, and wanting, you know, wanting and and, and uh, yeah, and, and actively seeking, feeling good, right, and knowing what that feels like, even you know. Absolutely, I was so in that place of not knowing any of that for myself. You know, I didn't know what it. I didn't know what it felt like to be satisfied by a meal for a long time. You know, I was you know kind of scared of food. And I had to learn that, you know, and I, there was a period of experimentation. Like I'll tell when I work with people on, on making diet changes in the way they eat, I'll say, give it six months, give it six months and experiment and pay attention and expect it to take that long for one to learn, you know, what feels good and what doesn't. And, and it's a fun, it can be a fun sort of curious, natural experimentation that leads you to this place where you feel empowered because you know like what works and what doesn't. And it's up to you if you're going to eat the watermelon. It's your choice. You, you can yeah. suffer the consequences Abs- yeah. happily. Yeah, that's know? the thing. Yeah, yeah. Just know, you know, it's like I think Nancy Gilgo said, you know, one time like, yeah, have the wine, but just practice the next day. You know, just do what you want, but, you know, practice that and, and you know, then make, your cho- then make your choices, you know, which I think is a great piece of information, really, or, you know, advice, really, right? Like, say, don't deny yourself, but make sure you come up in the next day and, and, and do your yoga or whatever, and then make your choice after the, you know, the night out, you know, and, and all the excess, right? Like, and then decide, then decide whether, you know, like, you weigh it up, right? Like, and that's what, I suppose, what I did in the end, really, you know, it's kind of weigh, weigh up, you know, like, is it worth those, you know, those indulgences? Right, exactly. Is it worth it? Yeah, 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 it, um, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and sometimes it is, you know, to be frank, sometimes it is, and you know, and uh, <laughs> I'll hold my hand up and say, you know, it was a rubbish practice, and you know, that that was all worth it. But you know, m- m- most of the time, as you say, you know, it, uh, you know, learning how to and how and what feels good is a uh, is a it's a process, and it's uh, it's emotional as well, and uh, you know, and I think it it is really a, a huge part of part of our yoga practices you know knowing knowing how our body feels good and what that feels like for our body so i mean thanks kate for coming on that's really a very informative um little chat we've had and um i think people can find you at your website which is um kate o'donnell i would assume dot com kate o'donnell dot yoga put it in the in the yeah kate o'donnell dot yoga fair enough makes sense and um Right, we'll put it in the notes as well. And, uh, and anything else coming up? I think you're doing something at Esalen, aren't you? Kripalu. I you're teach at Kripalu a, a lot. Kripalu, uh, right. Yeah, on the East Coast. Right, there's two yeah. countries coming from. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah we okay. do have so an like online. Two different coasts, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's an online program though coming up June first, so people from anywhere could could join. We're, right. we're doing skin. We're talking okay. about skin this time. Yeah. So, I mean, there's tons. There's, I'm so always busy. I love anything. working. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.